Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, again, it is so good to have each and every one of you. I mean, it is a good morning that you stepped in on. We are starting this morning, as if you maybe heard already, we're starting this week, a new sermon series over the life of Joseph, the life of Joseph. So maybe you have come in on the first time. Maybe you're tuning in online or listening on the podcast for the first time. It is an honor to have you. My name is Greg McKinney. My wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church, but this morning you stepped in on a good one because... Uh, we're diving into the life of Joseph. And I don't know if you are familiar with the uh, story of Joseph in Genesis, um, but we're going to take his life, his life story. And I mean, his life story is a hard one. I mean, maybe you came from a dysfunctional family. He wrote the story on dysfunctional families. I mean, this man knew what it was like to be hated and betrayed and isolated and in hostile relationship with his own family. And then Saul, as they really betrayed him, and he had to take what he knew God had put on his heart, the reality that God was enough, and he had to wait for that to come to pass. And so we've titled this whole series, Formed in the Waiting. And I don't know what's going on in your life. We talked earlier, and my prayer has been that uh, hopes would be um, come alive in this room, that you guys would learn to hope again. Some of you for a while have not dreamt. You have not thought that your life has had meaning and maybe a bitterness or an obstacle or a setback has happened to make you believe otherwise, but our God is a good God. And so we are going to take a season of just waiting on his promises to be fulfilled. And that is honestly what the life of Joseph um, was all about. He literally, we, we, we see as he is formed in the waiting if you know anything about Joseph, though, uh, he was one of 12 sons of a man named Jacob. And honestly, if I can set this up for you well, I'm telling you, God is going to do some mighty things in the next six weeks. It is going to lead us all the way up to Christmas, which honestly, as we get formed in the waiting, one of the most beautiful things that throughout history the church waited for was the Messiah. And so as we celebrate the coming of the king, literally on Christmas, we also get to celebrate the coming of what he's doing in our life, the forming that he is doing in our church, in you, in our families. And so I am pretty excited. The story of Joseph is all about the reality that our God does more than we could possibly hope or imagine. The story of Joseph is that our God has the power to increase, to do it again, to keep going. In fact, if you know Joseph, family at all. I mean, as I alluded, it was a hot mess. Joseph was the 11th born son of a man named Jacob. Jacob in scripture was the guy, if you remember the story and early on in Genesis, the man who wrestles with an angel or some theologians think literally it was the incarnate Jesus that he wrestled with. That was Jacob. His hip got dislocated, got broken, got healed. All of that happened. And then Jacob was given a new name, Israel. That is Joseph's dad. 
That's, that's the daddy we're talking about. But he, uh, if you know the story, he would later on uh, came upon a woman, right? It's always the ladies. He came upon a woman named Rachel, and Joseph uh, was actually born from Rachel. But that doesn't, it's not that easy of a story. It's not this beautiful story of Jacob loving Rachel and having a son named Joseph. No, the story gets a little twisted. You see, Jacob, the dad, loved Rachel, came to Rachel's dad, said, hey, I want to marry your daughter, right? And the dad said, I, I will pledge her to you, but if you work for me for seven years, right? If you know the story, seven years you have to work. So he did it. He was a good man. Jacob did it. And so on their wedding day, the dad gave his daughter to Jacob. It turns out afterwards, though, the veil was lifted and it was not Rachel, but Rachel's older sister, Leah, right? We already, this family has some dysfunction associated with what, what they're going to be like. So Leah is now married to Jacob. Jacob goes back to the dad and says, hey, you messed this up. I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. And the dad's like, well, you're going to have to work seven more years. Some of you are like, this is in the Bible? Yes. So seven plus seven is 14. Now Jacob, uh, Joseph's dad, is working 14 years to be able to marry his mom. And so finally, they do. In the meantime, though, the Lord takes compassion on Leah, the unwanted mom, the unwanted mom, and opens her womb. And she is able to bear uh, for Jacob in this time period, uh, the, the Hebrews, it was all about children, right? He was, she was able to bear Jacob six strapping boys, the first six of his soon-to-be 12. And by order, right, we got Reuben. You have, uh, some of you maybe know Levi, who will become the Levites. You have Judah, who from it, right, the tribe of, of Judah comes the Messiah. All of these are born to Leah, all while the wanted wife, Rachel, her womb is shut. She's not able to conceive. I mean, can you think of, like, the man who wants me, I can't give anything for him, but my sister, who he doesn't want, is being able to bless him with a child. Like, th that's just messed up. And so we see Leah, then, after these six boys are born to Jacob, she gives Jacob her maid, and then two more boys were born from her maid. And so this is already, like, starting off with two wives, and now you get the two wives and their handmaids. And so now, Rachel, can you imagine the dream? Not only do I want to marry this man, but I want to be able to bless him with children. I don't know if you've ever been to a place where you, um, the dream that you want, the desires, and you know they're God-given desires. You want to see good, to have things increase. Well, this is Rachel. This is the story. Joseph's life is literally also a story of Rachel. She's unable. I mean, can you imagine now eight boys being born to your husband from another wife, another woman, and you have nothing to show for yourself? How hopeless. God, where are you? What are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm believing in you, but you haven't yet. And finally, the scriptures say that uh, the Lord opens up Rachel's womb and she has her own son. She names him as he comes. She names him Yosef, Joseph, which literally means the Lord will increase more, which literally she's speaking a prophecy as she names Joseph his name. She's literally saying what he has done now, he will do it again. The Lord will add me another son. He will give me more. He will do it again. I believe him to be a God who does it, who continues, who increases. And sure enough, 
she has a, another son, Benjamin. But if you, if you did the math, where there should be more, right? Uh, we, have, we have Leah's six, we have Leah's handmaids two. Well, you see, in the waiting period, Rachel gives Jacob her maid to have two more boys with because her womb is still closed. And so Jacob has boys again with her maid. I mean, can you think of how hopeless this is? But then Joseph comes number 10. Rachel has a boy and she says, he will increase. My God will do it again. This whole story is literally, Joseph teaches us, if you want to take notes, what we're going to dive into the next six weeks is that we believe in a God who is not yet finished. If we are here, can you say it with me? Like he is not yet finished with me. I mean, that's what this, this, this whole story, I mean, from your gut, what would it be like for you to say, he's not yet finished with me today? Even when all of these things are happening to other people that I, that I know I've been praying for for myself, he's not yet finished with me. He is not yet finished with me. And honestly, if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will, because I'm, I'm believing, I'm praying a Yosef, a, that Hebrew word of increase, of doing it again over our church I mean, I want that kind of faith. I mean, that was, yes, Joseph's life story. He will continue. My God will continue. If you realize he's about to be in a pit, literally his brothers will throw him in a pit at the end of chapter 37, where we're going to dive into this morning. But he believes my God will continue. He will increase. He will do it. He will. He's not finished with me yet. And so with that in in mind, I I will tell you, we're not going to be naive with this. Because if God was going to do it again, if he is going to increase, if God has good blessings ahead, I just want to tell you a principle that we're going to see. Then I'm going to pray with us this morning, right now, today. And then we're going to dive into Genesis 37. But the principle is this, if you want to take note, it's, it's that the very fact that there is good in front of me, and this is huge, the very fact that there is good on the horizon, that God is going to increase, that he's going to do it again, that he's going to do a miracle or work, the very belief that my God does good, makes all things for the good of those who love him. That very truth means also that the Lord has some things to overcome in me. I mean, think about it. The very fact that good is tomorrow means that there's something that needs to be overcome today. Because I don't know about you, not only in my house, my family that I grew up in, not only are they a hot mess, right? Some of you, you, you register with the story of Joseph, but we are hot messes. And if God is going to make me a good father tomorrow, if I'm believing that he's going to increase my peace tomorrow, that means he's got some things to overcome in me today, right? We're not going to be naive. If God has a dream for me to step into tomorrow, if he has a name, if he has something for you to accomplish, he has a purpose for you tomorrow. And if it's good, I think we can all humble ourselves and realize that we got some things that need to be worked out overcome in us, through us, around us in order to see that goodness come. That's the story of Joseph. He dreams a dream of good, but has some things that have to be overcome around him, in him, and through him. And so we're going to open up and I'm just going to pray right now, God, I pray that you give us the reality to not be naive, to, 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 yes, sit in the reality that you are a good God and who forms all things for the good of those who are called according to your purpose. Yes, but the reality is that if tomorrow is going to be good, 
then that means there is some bad. There is some difficulty. There is some obstacles that are in my flesh that you are ready to overcome for tomorrow's good. So God, let me sit in that. Let me ask you, let me ponder, what is the things, what are the things that you're shaping us, uh, shaping us into, shaping us away from as we step into this series over being formed by you in the waiting. Teach us from Genesis 37 in your name, your glory. Amen. Now, I'll tell you, we are just going to read uh, verses 1 through 20 this morning, and I'm going to paraphrase the end. Many of you, if you know the story, I will tell you already, we're going to get uh, sort of the backstory of Joseph, his brother's hatred of him, and then we're going to get to when they throw him in a pit. And maybe you've never heard this story, and you're like, what? Yeah, let those that, that already pique your ears, your interest for this story. We're, we're ending this morning in the transition between the pit when he is thrown in a hole and when he is sold into slavery. And from, we know, a little spoiler for next week, this pit transitions from the pit to the palace pretty quickly. And so I'm pretty excited to get into that next week. But this morning, the story starts. The author Moses, who wrote the Torah, here he is, those first five books of the Bible, Genesis uh, 37, Moses writes this, Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien. If you have your Bible, verse 1, land of Canaan, and this is the story of the family of Jacob, Israel. You remember the Jacob story that I told you already. Joseph, being 17, it says, was shepherding the flock with his brothers, and he was a steward of the sons of Bilah and Zilpah. These are, these are his father's other wives, both Leah's handmaid and Rachel's maid as well. These other two wives, their four sons, right? They each had two. Their four sons were shepherding, and Joseph was helping them. In fact, it says he was not only shepherding the flock with his brothers, but he was a steward to the, the sons. And it says, and Joseph actually brought a bad report of those sons to their father. It continues, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other children because he was the son of his old age. And so he made him a long robe with sleeves. Many of you know the coat of many colors, right? Maybe you grew up hearing that. Joseph was given from his father, Jacob, a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that his father loved him, literally scripture says that they were filled with hatred. And they could not speak peaceably to him at all. Now I want to pause because this hatred will be continued on throughout this chapter. It's actually pretty sad. This hatred will continue on. This, this was an age-old dilemma, right? Can you imagine being born into this family? This age-old dilemma between uh, Leah and Rachel, right? Jacob marries both of them, only once one of them, but can only have children through the one that he doesn't want. Can you imagine being born as a son to Leah, who is the unwanted one, and already thinking, my mom is not loved as much by my dad as that other woman, but my mom, she's the one who is able to have children. Can you just think of like the pride as well as the, the betrayal, as well as the bitterness, like all in these six boys. And then you watch as the handmaid has two more, as Rachel's maid has two more, and then... Then you see this blessed son be born. I mean, can you think of the anger as you watch your dad now love another boy better? Not only love him better, but call him 
anointed. Literally this robe, like it's not just this robe of affection, but it's also a robe of being set apart. Like literally this is a robe of distinction. This is a robe of authority. It's as if, (laughs) it's as if Jacob is saying, I trust this boy, Joseph, not my, my other 10, but I trust this 11th son to carry on my legacy. I love him. I mean, this kind of favoritism is breaking as a child. Like, can you imagine those other six boys, now many of them into adulthood, and the 17-year-old boy has more authority than they do? Their 17-year-old, the 17-year-old boy has more of father's affection, is more fit to lead in dad's eyes than I am. And so in putting this coat on, literally, Jacob was saying, you are my heir. You are my heir. And when your baby brother gets it, I mean, goodness, that is a whole host of anger and anger and anger. But I'll just tell you right now, maybe you're thinking, why Joseph? (laughs) We see before Joseph's life ever began in Genesis earlier on in the 30s, uh, the chapters 34, 35, 36, we see his other sons, Jacob's other sons, making some hot mess decisions. All right, we see Reuben, the firstborn, making some angry decisions as he murders a whole group of people. They, they betray, they have bad leadership, they, they lie, they cheat, uh, and do all of these things. I mean, it gives us pretty good reason to why then, why Jacob would say, Joseph is my son. He's the one who gets this authority. He's the one who gets this distinction um, because the rest of the boys literally were not good leaders. But also, if you read, it said he loved him more because he was a son of his old age. I looked everywhere in scripture. This does not mean what we would naturally think, that Joseph uh, was born when Jacob was an old man. And so because he came when Jacob was old, he loved him. That's not what it means. In fact, if that was the case, then Benjamin, the youngest boy, would have been loved more because Benjamin was the literal son of Jacob's old age. But this is actually a Hebrew idiom. It reads like the son. I loved him because he was a son of my old age, which literally this Hebrew idiom means that this boy had an old head with young shoulders. Do you, that sounds weird, right? But literally, this boy was wiser than his age, is what it meant. Joseph was loved by Jacob because Joseph was wise, wiser than his age. He had an old head on young shoulders. You know, people like that who are, who are just young in their age, but old in their wisdom. This is why the father loved him, because already he could see my other sons reacted in sin But my son, Joseph, this one is reacting with integrity. I love him for this. Now, it's twisted a little bit. There's a little bit bitterness attached to the other sons because of the favoritism, but it's about to only get worse. If you know the story, we're about about to pick up in verse 5 because now the Lord is speaking. And if you remember last week, we talked about when we hear from the Lord, there's one thing when God's presence comes into a room, but when God speaks, when he starts speaking to people, a commission is given. It's people are set apart. They're changed. They are transformed for a purpose. And so Joseph is not just getting this coat from his dad now. He's about to hear dreams from the Lord. The Lord is about to speak to him. And this sets his brothers on a frenzy of anger that they did not have before. I mean, hatred spurs them on to want to kill him. In fact, verse five, it says, once Joseph had a dream 
And when he told it to his brothers, now come on, why did you tell him to your brothers? But it says, when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hey, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. And then your sheaves gathered around it, he says, and then they bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers looked at him (laughs) and said, are you indeed going to reign over us? Do you think you are going to have dominion over us? And they hated him even more, scripture says, because of his dreams and his words. Now I want to pause. He has a second dream. But it's really interesting that the brothers who already hate Joseph are the ones who want to take the initiative uh, initiative to interpret the dream. Like it's already like, oh, this is what it means. You're going to have, you think you're going to have dominion over us. Is that what Joseph said? No, he just said the dream. They're interpreting it and they're getting mad at the interpretation. It's really interesting. But not only that, like I just a little spoiler as we keep going. I think it's interesting that the author, Moses, as he's telling the story, he puts two different reasons for their anger. If you see this on the, on the very end of, of verse 8, it says, They hated him even more because of his dreams, which is one Hebrew word, and because of his words, which is another Hebrew word. In other words, they were mad not only that God gave him the dreams. They were mad because he, of what he saw. Yes, one reason for hatred. But they were also mad because he had the audacity to speak it. This is really important to see and to speak. Those are two reasons that our enemy will hate us. But they're two things that we will see Joseph constantly does. And there's an obedience in that. To see things and to speak them. So I'll just, I'll, that's all I'll say for now. But there's going to get some good things. Because on verse 9, we have dream number 2. Is that he had another dream. And he told it again to his brothers saying, look, I've had another one. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told this dream to his father and his brother, his father rebuked him and said, what kind of dream is this that you have? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers and bow down to the ground for you? And I'll tell you right now, his father's checking him a little bit because at this time, Joseph was 17. Uh, he, was, uh, he was in young adulthood and his mother, Rachel, had already been dead. She died early on in his uh, young adult, his childhood. And so literally the dad is checking his facts saying, are you sure the sun, me, the moon, your mother, and those 11 stars, your brothers are going to bow down to you? Your mom's going to come back from the dead to do this? Are you sure? So he checks him. But he, it says the father kept that matter in his mind, though. All while, if you read in verse 11, the brothers grew in their jealousy, hatred upon hatred upon hatred. Now, I, I love just this aside again. We're not going to be naive, right? But I love that these, these two dreams are two images of good things, right? They are of good things. I will be in leadership. I will have authority. My sheaf stood upright. That means I, I was down, but I had this strength to stand. And then others bowed. There's this imagery of gathering around me, to bow. It's all good. But remember, when God has promises for us to tomo- of tomorrow, that doesn't mean that everything in the in-between is going to be all joy and all gladness and all good. But instead, 
the very reason that God has something good tomorrow means there's something that's going to have to be pruned, purged, squished sometimes, uh, prodded out of me in order for me to step into the goodness. And so Joseph, he has a lot of growing. He has a lot of advancing. He has a lot of hardships. He has a lot of things that God is going to overcome in and around and through him. And so these dreams, though given, are not yet but the dreams, it's interesting, only made his brother's hatred grow even more. Because now, like, think about it practically. A father showing favoritism is one thing. Like, I'm mad because my dad loves Joseph more than us. That's one thing. I mean, in our flesh, favoritism is a thing. Now, dad's in the room. Don't, be, don't show favoritism. So a dad showing favoritism is one thing. But in their angry, bitter hearts... They mirrored, they transferred that favoritism over to God, the Father. And now because Joseph is dreaming dreams and God is speaking to Joseph, God must love him more too. This hatred, the enemy used it to twist into rage, a rage that would want to kill. Some of the the brothers will want to kill Joseph. Others of the brothers will just want him out of their life. Why do you get, how can someone go down that road? It's because in their mind, they have now shifted. They've given this favoritism that their father displayed, and they've said that the Lord now has that same level of favoritism. Why Joseph? I must be nothing if God is talking to Joseph. Now, I'll just tell you the truth is we see in scripture that our God shows no partiality, right? Romans says that. James speaks this, that our God shows no favoritism. Sin once sinned, and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. There's no favoritism seen at all in the scripture, but what we do see right here, which I wish his brothers started seeing with clarity, but they don't yet. What we do see is throughout scripture, no, God doesn't show favoritism, but he does bless the obedient, right? He doesn't show favoritism, but he does bless the obedient. He blesses those who are poor in spirit. He blesses the meek. He blesses the humble. He blesses those who are are mourning and they will be comforted. He blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He blesses the ones who seek his eternal kingdom. He blesses the obedient. And I will tell you only one of the 12 sons, of of the 11 older sons, we're doing this. Only one of the 11 sons were being a faithful, obedient child, meek, humble. And it's Joseph, the dreamer. Now, I will tell you this kind of little aside, why Joseph, right? We can get into this why Joseph thing. But I will tell you, the other sons, they will have blessings of their own. In fact, if you wanted to this week, Zoom past, go to the, the end of Jacob's life. I know it's in the late 40s of Genesis chapters. I think 47, 48, 49, one of those chapters, Jacob is on his deathbed. And he blesses all 12 of his sons. Now, I'll tell you, some of the blessings sound a little bit more like curses. I'm like, Dad, I don't, I don't want that kind of blessing. Reuben gets a bad one. I mean, Reuben, the oldest, he, he, he gets a bad blessing. But we see these other blessings unfold on the other kids. We see Levi being blessed. And from his lineage comes the priesthood, the Levites. We see another one uh, being blessed. And from his lineage comes the judges, comes Samson. 
We see another one, Judah, right, being blessed. And from Judah's lineage literally comes King David, comes the Messiah. We see their blessings unfold, but at this time period, only one son is being obedient, meek, righteous, poor in spirit, hungry for the Lord, showing such integrity, and it's Joseph, the dreamer. But as I was reading this, and honestly, as we, as we get forward, if I can intro this series off at all, I really, when I was reading this chapter, and we'll, we'll finish it off, don't worry, but when I was reading this first part of the chapter, there was a sentence that stood out to me that I was not prepared to have stand out. In fact, I read the whole thing, and I only underlined one little section. It's the section we've already read, and maybe you zoomed past it like I have every single other time, but I read it, and I was like, God, why is this standing out? God, why is this standing out to me? And honestly, I took some time this week, uh, probably a couple hours, researching commentaries about this little section, this little verse of the 20 that we just are about to all read. And I found literally one to two sentences for every other commentary on this little section. People had very little to say about it. But I was like, God, why are you speaking to me? Why is it this one? And it was this verse. Are you ready? It was verse two, actually. It says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was the steward to the brothers. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to the father. And it was that last section. He was a steward of the brothers and he brought a bad report of them back home to his father. And I was like, God, why are these included? Like, why did Moses, when he was telling the story of Jacob's life and started getting into the story of Joseph and how Joseph's life is all about this increase, the, the do it again, the faith, the, honestly, the, uh, the, the beauty and favor and provision of the Lord. Why this little section? Why do we hear that Joseph brought this bad report home? It's really interesting. And as I was reading it, what the commentaries did say was this is not some tattletale thing. I don't know if you, you guys have uh, little brothers or little sisters. I was a, I'm a little brother um, and I never did this, right? But there's some tattletales, right? We all have them. This is not, a, every commentary that I read said, this is not the tattletale little brother who says, daddy loves me more. You've done something wrong. I'm going to prove that daddy loves me more and I'm going to be the goody goody one who shows up better. And so he runs and tells daddy all the bad things that the other brothers are doing. That's not the heart displayed here. It's not this, I'm going to show you that I am better by telling on you. Instead, the card that Joseph is playing is literally, I'm going to do exactly the role that our father gave me. I'm going to be faithful to what I was assigned to do. I'm going to steward. I was a steward of the shepherds. I'm supposed to help attend. I'm supposed to help them, and I need to do this. In fact, we don't know what the bad report was, but when I say I I read a lot of commentaries, I mean I read a lot, and I found some old uh, Judaism, like written records of the stories that would be passed on during this time, and some of the things were weird. In fact, when uh, Judaism early on, I found some early writers who said that, that the ongoing story was that these other brothers, these four sons born to the handmaids, these four sons would be out in the flock and they got hungry 
And because there was no food and because they did not want to kill a lamb, because that would be bad, right? To kill one of the father's flocks, they decided to start eating the tails of the lambs that were alive. Like gross, one, two, why? Three, why, did the, why is this the story? But regardless of what it was, we don't know the ins and outs of what the bad report was, but we do know that it dishonored the family it probably dishonored the work that they were called to do as a shepherd and it dishonored the father, the Lord. And so Joseph being a good steward literally has to come by. He knew, he knew I am not the one who can correct this. That I've seen a bad thing. I can't let it just lie. I can't let it continue on. I can't enable it to keep going. So I have seen the bad thing. I'm not the one who has the authority to make it right but I know who can, my dad. So he goes back and speaks what he saw because he knew my dad has the, he's the one who has the authority to make things right. And so honestly, this stood out to me and I really had to wrestle with why, why, and it's this. If you're gonna take any note this morning, if you're gonna remember anything from this first one, it is this, how we steward the wicked things is how we will steward the blessed things. How we will steward, how we handle the wicked things around us. For Joseph, he saw his brothers doing this wicked thing out on the fields. And, and he could have enabled it. He could have let it go un, unmentioned. He could have turned a blind eye. But how he stewarded the wicked thing is how he will steward the blessed thing. And I say this because all of us, like if I can make it practical, how you steward the wicked things going on in your, in your office places, all of the things, and I literally wrote this down, uh, the sinful people that are around you, the compromising situations that are happening, how you handle those things are deeply connected to how you will handle the things of the Lord. If you handle them loosely with greed or handle them loosely with this idle heart, then you will handle the things of the Lord loosely with greed or loosely with an idle heart. If you handle the wicked things, enabling them, turning a blind eye, then when God does the blessed, you will turn a blind eye and not even realize it. You see, Joseph, he saw dreams, but I believe that heart was grown in the fields when he saw the wicked and handled it well. He knew, I don't have the authority, so I will bring it to the one who can. I, I'm not going to leave it unattended. I'm not going to leave it unmentioned. I'm not going to leave it there. And you think, Greg, you're just pulling this out of, out of nowhere. No, I'm not. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? One of my favorite ones. It's attached to our, our, one of our values. We love our neighbor. And the Good Samaritan story, Jesus tells it, and, and he says, only one person in the story loved, right? He goes by and says, there's this wicked thing that happens, uh, a man who is left half dead on the side of the street, a wicked thing. And then we see a Levite, a priest. We see a godly man. We see another one come. And both of these other men leave the wicked thing in the state that it's in. They enable it to stay in that state. They see the wickedness and handle it poorly. They steward it poorly. They let it go unmentioned. They let it go unchanged, un unredeemed. And then we see the Good Samaritan who sees it and cannot let it stay in this state. 
he goes to the man and takes him forward. And then Jesus looks to the crowd as he's telling the story and says, which, which person showed love? Which person, in other words, handled the blessed thing? Well, love. Which one? And everyone anonymously can say, anonymously can say, the Good Samaritan. You see, how we handle the wicked things is so deeply connected to how we will handle the blessed things. If you want to write this down, write what he saw, what he saw, what Joseph saw, what that the Good Samaritan saw, he brought to the one who can make it right. You want to know why scripture says, why Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you, pray for your enemies. Why he says, if you see sin, talk to me about it. The prayer of a righteous person can, can heal. Why? It's because we are actively saying, I'm, I see this wicked thing but I'm going to be a good steward of it. I'm going to take it to my father who has the authority to make it right. You see, how I, how I steward the wicked is how I'll steward the good. God knows if my son handles the broken things well, he will handle and make right the good things. He will carry forth my vision. He will carry forth my word, my truth, my love, my hope, my joy. I want a heart like that. And I say all of this this morning. The reason this stood out to me is I believe God has been speaking into your homes for a while. I believe that many of you in this place and watching online, listening to the podcast, God has been wanting you to dream again. He's had visions. He's, he's given you meaning, direction. He wants to tell you your name, your, your gifts. But we will not hear it if we have this habit of handling the wicked things poorly. I cannot imagine. I wonder how many of you have stopped dreaming, stopped believing the Lord's plan, and it's not because he's not speaking anymore. It's because you have not stewarded the broken things well. You see, Judah, one of the brothers, it's not that the Lord wasn't going to bless Judah, because we see the Messiah came from his lineage. It was at this time, Judah, like the other brothers, were not stewarding the broken mess around him well. They weren't. And so they were blind of seeing the things of God. I wrote this down. Maybe there are some sin struggles, some situations of compromise from your past that you still have not taken to the Father, the one who can make things right. Some of you, there are some stories of bitterness where God had um, fallen through. You know, King David, what I love about King David is if he felt like the Lord betrayed him, if he thinks that the Lord let him down, he takes all of that and stewards it back to the Lord and says, hey, I am broken. I am hurting. Where were you? You see, that's what it looks like to take a bad report to the Father. Because you're saying, I'm not going to sit in it. I'm not going to be drowned out by it. I'm not going to be blinded by it. But instead, I'm going to take it to the one who can make it right. And so some of you, there has been bitterness, disappointments that you have not brought to the Father. And because you haven't brought it to the Father, the Lord might be speaking, but you're going to handle the good the same way that you're handling the bitterness, locking it in, not talking about it, trying to act like it's not there. And we don't want that. I don't want to not see the good. I want to see the good. But how we steward the wicked will be how we steward the blessed. I want to also say this. There's some things that maybe you witnessed yesterday. You saw in your past. 
that God is wanting you to bring to him. Confess to him. Steward it well to him. And you say, why is this so important? It's because Joseph teaches us a principle and it's seen, I've already displayed it a little bit, but it's seen again and again. Joseph teaches us that to speak what you see is a trait of obedience. Joseph does. He teaches us to speak out what we see is a trait of obedience. I mean, he does it again and again. I see wicked. I need to speak. I'm not going to let it sit in me. Whew. How many times have we done that? I'm not going to let it sit in me. I'm not going to let it fester in me. No, I see it. I'm going to speak it to my father. I'm going to take it to the one who has the authority to make things right. But then also, you remember the very reason his brothers hated him. Because he saw the dream and he spoke it. In all honesty, we can say, like, Joseph, why did you speak it to your brothers? Like, that's dumb. They're just mad at you. But honestly, who else would he speak it to? This boy has integrity. He stewards things well. I dreamt a dream. I'm going to steward it well and speak it. Who else is he going to speak it to? They are a family of nomads living with sheep. Is he going to talk to the sheep about it? No, he speaks it to the ones who are supposed to love him. And so he teaches us over and over, and you'll see this again and again, what Joseph sees, Joseph will speak. And so God knows he will faithful my visions well. He will faithful my goodness well, because my goodness is not just for him to sit with and relax in. My goodness is for him to speak, to grant to others, to be changing, life-changing with. And so as we get into this, I'm going to end the story in a minute. But one thing I need you to know that, that it literally pushes, if you want the heart of Joseph, you not only need to realize that you need to steward all things well, both the wicked and the blessed, but also Joseph's mentality was this. He was an obedient steward. And if you want to take a note, write this. The obedient steward always sees things through. Maybe you need to say that. I want to see things through today. Do you know that, that little phrase in, in the English? I'm going to see it through. When I'm in a hardship, I'm going to see it through. When, I, when I've seen something terrible, I'm going to see it through to the Father. When, I have, when I'm stuck in bitterness, no, I'm going to see it through to the one who can make it right. When I see the good happen, when I hear, when I believe that the Lord is going to make all things right, I'm going to see it through. And I'm not going to see it through my, vin, my lens, my vision. No, I'm going to see it through and how the Lord is doing it. And this is literally the story of Joseph. I saw my brothers doing something bad. I'm going to see it through to the father who can make it right. I saw a dream and things are not going to go as planned, but I'm going to see that dream through to the end. In fact, we're about to end the story. It says now his brothers were in a pasture. And I wish I could read all of this to you. Uh, If you're going to read, open up or take a note, verses 12 and onward of chapter 37. It's this such a sad story. His brothers were off pasturing their father's flock near Shechem, it says. And Israel, the dad, talks to Joseph and says, are your brothers pasturing in that flock in Shechem? Now I'll tell you, Shechem is the place where Reuben and a few of the other brothers murdered some people. So this is creating red flag alert in Jacob, the dad's heart, in his mind. He's worried for his sons and his livestock. Are they being killed? So he sends his son, the good steward, He sends him out to make note, to see if the boys are well. It literally says, will you see if they are well and bring a word back to me? He says, go and take care of them. See if they're okay. He's out of care. And so Joseph sees it through. He goes. 
And it says he came to Shechem and he, he found them. But listen, verse 18 says, when they saw him from a distance. I mean, can you imagine walking to your brothers? They're all grouped up together. You already know that they don't like you, but you're going to do what your father said and you're going to see it through. But it says from a distance in verse 18, before he even came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. And I'll tell you, the enemy loves to take that which we hold dear, our hope in the Lord, the promises that, that, that we know he's going to do, his faithfulness. And they, the enemy, the demons, spirits, lies, will always want to make a mockery of it. So the brothers look at the dreamer and say, hey, what a dreamer. You see, the enemy will always want to belittle you for hoping in the Lord. The enemy will always want to belittle you for putting your hope, for for believing in a God that is unseen, for having faith in that which is not here yet. The enemy will always say, what a dreamer. I'm going to belittle you, but we, like Joseph, are going to see it through. It's not through. God isn't through, so I'm going to see it through. This is the heartbeat of Joseph. So it continues. He comes in closer and they say, verse 20, come now to one another. Let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. And then we shall say to the father, right, to dad, that a wild animal has devoured him and we shall see what comes of his dreams. Now, if you know the story, Reuben, the older brother, has this this note of integrity and I am very thankful for this. The older brother comes in and he says, no, we cannot kill him. It doesn't sit right with me. We can't kill a brother and another one agrees. Yeah, we shouldn't kill a brother. The uh, Levi says that Judah's like, yeah, we we can't kill him. Well, Reuben goes off away in the story. He leaves the brothers, and and we don't know what he's doing, maybe tending the flock, but then Judah gets this idea in his mind. Why don't we sell Joseph to these groups of slavers, the slave traders? Let's sell him as a slave. Literally, they're thinking, let's see what will happen to this dreamer if we sell him as a slave. Think about it practically. The the brothers were like, if we sell him as a slave, there is no way that that will ever come out to being a Lord. Because in a dream, you remember, we are bowing down to him. But in no reality can a slave to Egyptian men... (laughs) stand on a throne or sit on a throne with us bowing down to it. This is no way his dream will come to pass. So they sold him. Can I just tell you, they're just stuck on these titles, these titles. They literally think I will, they can kill Joseph's dream. They literally believe they can kill off Joseph's dream. They can stop and halt the work that the Lord is doing. And they're ending, they're, they're attacking it from the wrong end. Think about it. Like if God spoke something, it will come to pass. No matter what you do, no matter what title you want to speak onto to the man, if God spoke it, it will happen. And so they don't see it. But what's about to happen is Joseph is sold to be a slave in the house of a palace, like in the house of a ruler. They had no idea that it would be that easy of a transition. But I will tell you right now, the enemy will always want to give you a title. And some of you right now, you've been stuck in bitterness for so long and the enemy has blessed you with a title, blessed, right? He's blessed you with the title of being 
worthless. He's blessed you with the title of being not enough. He's blessed you with the title of being weak. He's blessed you with the title of being foolish. Uh, and, and I will just tell you, when, when you are blessed with the title of being a slave, if you sit in that, you will not see the goodness of God. But I will tell you, even in the slavery, we will see Joseph seeing it through. And so we have to remember, my God takes the weak things and he shames the strong. He literally does it with Christ. This is scripture. He makes the foolish things of this world. He uses the foolish to shame the wise. He takes our inability and overcompensates it for his ability. And this is the beautiful thing. The the enemy will want to get into titles of how you define yourself. But our God, he takes the foolish things and he makes them wise. It's so powerful. And so in God's way, in God's economy, he says, slavery, all right, I'll make him a Lord. I'll make him a ruler. Slavery, all right, I'll bring him to the palace. A pit, okay, I have a palace in store. And so as we end this morning, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I do know that the Lord is asking you to dream again. He is asking you to see beyond the now, and many of you, you can heart check today. Because if we are ever going to sit in and learn the story of a God who increases, who makes things better, who does it again, if we're going to see him fulfill some promises, then we are going to need to ask ourselves, God, am I stewarding things well? Am I living with integrity so that I can see your promises come to pass as they do? Am I living in your blessing? Not just meaning like, uh, am I being blessed by you? But no, am I being a blessed man who is, is meek, is a servant, is integritous? Am I handling the wicked things well? And so honestly, this morning, if I can just end you with that, I want a heart of Joseph. And that means I need a heart of integrity. If I want the blessings of Joseph, then I'm also going to realize that God blesses the obedience. He blesses the obedience. And so this morning as we end, I just want to challenge you. How do you steward the broken things around you? How do you steward it, the setbacks? How have you stewarded the compromises? How have you stewarded what have you seen? Maybe today is a day that you can redirect that to the Father, the one who can make it right. God, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for your your ability to move despite my inabilities. God, I thank you that you do not get stuck on the titles, the lies spoken by our enemy. That, That Joseph was not just a dreamer. He was an obedient steward who got to see your vision come. And so, God, I pray for that. I pray for that over our church. I pray for that for, for whoever's listening to this right now, weeks later, who just want a story, want to want to listen into the story of Joseph. God, I just pray right now that we will steward the wicked things well, that when you move, when you speak, when you bring healing, we will steward it well, too. I love you, Father. Give us a heart like Joseph. In your name, for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.